The race is on, and Max Verstappen avenged his first race defeat with victory at Imola. But title rival Lewis Hamilton breathed a sigh of relief after recovering to second, also taking the crucial point for fastest lap, despite an off that put him a lap down. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to take you through a dramatic race and its fallout are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. The Race F1 podcast is brought to you by Escapade Living. Escapade is redefining the race experience through the integration of hospitality, track access and lifestyle. Escapade Silverstone will overlook the famous Cops Corner and Maggots and Beckett's Complex and offer the ultimate private space that can be enjoyed with friends and family. It heralds a new era of motorsport adventures. To find out more, go to escapadeliving.com. I have to say, Mark, a good view from a property next to Silverstone. It ties in very well with Imola. The amazing thing here, though, I don't know whether you really get from television, is just how many people there are who live in the circuit. You keep walking past houses thinking, we'd be brilliant to live there, or even just have that to sit in during the race. Yeah, um, actually, I think on this occasion, the TV viewers will have been very well aware because they showed um, some footage from uh, from, from up in the air um, on those houses just outside uh, Ravazza 1. Well, there was a whole family actually up on its roof, um, and it was a pitched pitched roof, quite quite a quite a, a, a big angle, and um, yeah, they they're all up there, and it didn't look like there'd been um, any health and safety officers there, and uh, they were having a perfect perfect view of that section of track. Yeah, it is. It's unique. It's a wonderful place, and um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it did it did used to be a public public road decades and decades ago um and so it's still got a hint of that sort of parkland feel even though it's now a exclusive racetrack yeah it's it is so so old school and old-fashioned in a good way just just classic old italy for want of a, of a better phrase it's an absolutely brilliant place it's a bit of a bonus wasn't it scott to get another race at Imola. it's proving a little bit of a modern classic on its return with two eventful races we've had there in the last couple of years it's a it's a lovely break from the the run of new races we get in uh, different circuits that just don't have the same character or challenge. And what a brilliant place to come for the second race after the the end of the first race was spoiled a little bit by needless track limits controversy because we joked, didn't we? I think on the on one of the previous podcasts that we can't have any of this at Imola because you try and go around the outside of. Uh, somewhere in there and chances are you're going to end up in the grass gravel or in a wall um so it's just really cool to come to a place that's you know got history got character proper challenge for the drivers um and with a i've got to say absolutely bonkers uh division of rainfall before the start of the race is just clearly capable of throwing up even a few random variables as well just to spice things up i think it's fair to say there was a little bit more happening in this race than in last year's uh, uh, Imola round. I was about to say what the race was called, but I don't think we've got enough time on this podcast to say the race's full name, have we? Yeah, I think we do a special extra episode to read out the race name and then just end that will take a, a good half an hour or so. But yeah, that, that rainfall was amazing. So I don't think uh, anyone believed me because there was that view from Tamburello, wasn't there? Just an absolute deluge. And I was, I was basically at the pits, so sort of towards the end of the pit lane, saying, it's barely raining here. Well, we'd have been able to see you in the shot, wouldn't we? Because in the shot that was looking back from Tamburello, you could see the tower in the background. You could see the pit buildings. And you, we, so we'd have basically, if you'd gone upstairs, we could have probably seen you nice and dry on the pit straight while it's absolutely bucketing down at, at turns one and two. Or turns two and three, as they are officially, I think. And I think quite a few drivers, just how ridiculous the the division was. And that made the tyre choice very, very tricky. But so much to talk about in this race. So let's crack on with it. Mark, Verstappen crossed the line 22 seconds clear of title rival Lewis Hamilton. But it was far from a simple journey to get to that point. And the fact Verstappen led 61 out of 63 laps perhaps doesn't do justice to quite how lively this race was. Now, the first significant moment was the start with a pair doing battle at the Tamburello chicane and Hamilton coming off worse. Yeah, um, Max launched it better off the line, got better traction off the line, and I'd just give him the momentum, did a nice sort of sweep left as Lewis sort of hovered in the middle of the track because he had Perez on to, on his right, and Max just continued that momentum, which gave him the inside line for the um, the, the first chicane there, and uh, Lewis 
chose to try and sit it out around the outside and you know Max just made sure he used up the full track width there and then Lewis was you know, bouncing over the uh, sausage curbs and uh, flicked a bit of his um, front wing end plate off and uh, so yeah from from there that was the first crucial bit of um, Max's victory but there were still a couple of times after that where it wasn't um, altogether clear what was going to happen it was it, it, he quickly pulled away from Hamilton, but then once Hamilton's tyres finally came up to temperature and that, that had been an issue with the Mercs all weekend, how reluctant they were to uh, generate tyre temperature, um, and it was a particular problem with the Inters, but once they finally did come up to temperature, sort of 10 laps in, the car became really quick. And so because it hadn't been going very quickly while the tyres were cold, its tyres were also less worn than Verstappen's, so he was catching Verstappen quite quickly. And Verstappen and Red Bull were a bit in an invidious situation at that point because it still wasn't quite dry enough to go on the slicks, but his inters were wearing out. And so do you come in or do you not, or do you stay out? And it was it was very, very tricky. And that was one of the moments where they might have lost the race, but they didn't. And then, of course, there was later on, um, on the uh, safety car restart, Max almost spun out of the race completely and um, that came came within a few millimetres of, of uh, losing his, his place there. But um, generally, uh, he, 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 dominated the, he dominated the race and um, everything thereafter was happening increasingly distant behind him. And, of course, it, it was really interesting, that phase around the pit stops, because as you said, Hamilton was picking up the pace, lost a little bit of time in his pit stop. I think he was, he was part for about four seconds, according to the, the the timing on screen, a slightly slow change of one of the wheels. So that meant he was decisively behind Verstappen. But Scott, Hamilton did have pace after that pit stop, didn't he? And then, of course, he encountered his Mercedes stablemate, possible future Mercedes F1 teammate slash successor, and things started to go wrong. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. I think uh I think uh Verstappen's lead got out to must have been around five seconds or so, um, when Hamilton rejoined and obviously had to get his tyres up to temperature. Um but that that gap I think was trimmed a little bit by Hamilton, but then I think it was basically halved almost in one go because Verstappen encountered this yeah, this this just the worst thing you can possibly come across when you're leading a race and you're being caught by someone. Because there must have been... There must have been a queue of three, four cars actually battling because it would have been Bottas at the front of the queue, then Lance Stroll, then George Russell, Kimi Raikkonen just off the back. They were lapping... I think they were lapping Mick Schumacher at the time as well. So there was a fifth car in the mix... But these cars are absolutely going hell for leather. So if I remember correctly, Verstappen gets ahead of that, finally gets in front of that queue, basically down the start-finish straight, comes out the final corner, activates DRS and gets past Bottas. But at that time, Stroll actually plays a blinder and capitalises on that Bottas loss of momentum to then attack Bottas as well and get ahead of him into turn one. Russell's tucked right in behind Bottas at this point. And Hamilton's only just got past Raikkonen on the start-finish straight. So he's still got three cars who don't want to give up any time at all right in front of him. But between him and Verstappen, he's just gained all this time. He doesn't want to lose it. So as they head down towards the Villeneuve-S, and then as they go towards the Tosa hairpin, Hamilton finally gets right up behind Russell, who I thought dithered a little bit in terms of getting out of the way. But I have reviewed it and... Because there's so much going on and they've just lapped Schumacher as well and Raikkonen's at the back of the pack. I guess I guess you could say it's not uh it's not the most heinous crime for Russell to have not moved moved aside um at the first sight of a at the first sight of a blue flag. And in the end, as they go into Tosa, he decides to hold it to the right to let Hamilton go on the inside. But Hamilton sort of, in haste, commits too eagerly, probably goes more to the inside than he needs to, given George has left him a bit of room. 
but I think he was going to have to go onto the damp stuff, whatever. And just as soon as he hits the wet patch, the car goes. It's it it looked like it happened in slow motion on Hamilton's onboard, but when you watch it on Russell's onboard, and you see the, you just see this Mercedes just. George moves to the right-hand side, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this Mercedes just comes whoo, straight across the front and obviously disappears stage right. And, oh yeah, I think on review, I, I don't really think Russell's done a great deal wrong. Uh, I think Hamilton's also held his hands up. It's just a silly mistake on his part. Impatience, uh, which is not something we normally associate with him. And then he basically has this uh, utterly agonising weight, as uh, I think... He might have been trying to boot the boot, boot the throttle and get the rear round as he's obviously skated across the gravel. But all he's done is he's accelerated and basically lurched forward and nudged the wall, broken the front wing, but got stuck. And then he said it felt like minutes waiting to engage reverse so just wouldn't get into reverse gear. And then eventually he obviously came back out and, and, and rejoined. But by the time all of that had happened and he'd been able to get in and get his front wing changed, um, he'd, he'd fallen on the lap down. So it was, uh, yeah, the, the moment where he felt like he needed to take that initiative and get on the back of Verstappen, put him in a position where it looked like his race was run. Yeah, it should have really undone his race, ultimately, you know, easy to make that misjudgment in those conditions, but it does go down as as his mistake. Good presence of mind in the end. To, once he realised he couldn't get out, once he got it in reverse, which took him ages to actually get reverse selected. Sometimes in these cars, it's not the most uh, easy gear to slip into because it's not one that's used uh, very often. So, so not a huge amount of uh, space for what a better word is given to it. So it's not an easy system to engage. And he kept it in reverse and backed onto the track and and got going. But obviously, this this is where he was done a favour by the Bottas-Russell accident that we'll talk about a bit more in a minute. Red flag. And crucially, Hamilton got that lap back. So he took the restart ninth, but on the lead lap. And that mark was absolutely central. That was a central slice of luck to Hamilton that allowed him to then come back through to second place because he wasn't going to do that without there being some kind of situation that allowed the lap tra- lap cars to to regain that, that lap. So it would have been a safety car situation as we had after the the, the red flag allowed him to, to get that, that lap back. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he would have been um, something like a minute and a half behind the, the, the lead. Um, but he, he was able to just, you know, be a few cars behind the lead on the restart instead. So, yeah, that that um, that obviously completely rescued his weekend. It, it had to have happened on that lap. The, the, the Russell-Bottas accident had to have happened on that lap so that it was, you know, for it, for it to work, so it was just one of those fluky things um, where all three Mercedes-connected drivers were all involved, and um, yeah, two of them had an accident that, that helped rescue the race of the third one. Formula One's full of these little ironies, isn't it? And that put Hamilton on that course where he could go from, I think he restarted ninth, picked his way through to second place. That that recovery was well measured. The thing I also liked was he he managed to get the fastest lap as well, which I think was on the lap when he passed Norris, wasn't it? So he he had the DRS assist, which gave him that extra little bit of pace, and then he nailed the lap, and that, that meant he had the fastest lap in his pocket, which, given how close this championship, we're still hoping it's going to be like this. That sort of point is an important thing to do, and quite intelligently done as well. That move, what was it? The uh, move on Stroll, I think. Uh, that had I, I normally I, I'm just in, I'm watching it as an interested observer. You obviously I've got no skin in the game, so it doesn't matter at all. I was uh, I I was clenched when Hamilton launched that move on Stroll because I was like, that's on that's on the limit. He's I I, I thought he was uh, I thought he was going to end up uh, skating straight across. Uh, at, the, at the first chicane, um, a couple of the moves were not easy um, because I think, uh, well, we'll get onto a minute how easy it was to misjudge a DRS pass down the start finish straight towards Tamburello. But uh, a couple of them were a bit more straightforward for Hamilton, and a couple of them he did have to put it properly on the line, and he did um, did an excellent job of uh, being forceful when he needed to, and then I liked as. I liked that he didn't get frustrated when he got behind Norris and Norris was actually doing quite a good job of keeping him at arm's length just far enough away that he couldn't nail him with the DRS into in, into the chicane. But eventually he did the job and 
it's one of those one of those things um, where he's made a really stupid error to be in the position that he was in, and then he needed a huge slice of luck to be able to uh, put the recovery drive together. But the recovery drive was all him, and it, and it was genuinely good from that point onwards. Really, really well executed. The thing that's great about this race combined with Bahrain is we talked about this Verstappen Hamilton championship fight we want. It's already becoming massively storied because they had their little battle in Bahrain, which Verstappen came off worse him. They had the track limits thing, which we talked about our Bahrain review. And then the first lap here with Verstappen getting the better of Hamilton and just all these little moments that the, the championship will swing on. And these will all be really significant come the end of the year if it's as close as we, we think it's going to be. And you kind of look at them as sort of marking each other's cards, aren't they? Because you could say, yeah, the first lap, that, that, was, a, that was a Verstappen win, wasn't it? Because Hamilton, slightly ambitious to hang on around the outside, perfectly legitimate, but he was always likely to end up in the situation he did, which gave him that little bit of damage. Did you hear Max's comment um, where he was like, basically said he didn't even realise they'd made contact at turn one? Part of me was thinking, oh, I don't know, it was like, it wasn't the smallest nudge, was it? So he must have felt it. Um, I thought it was quite hard racing. It was good to see. Lewis obviously felt he'd been crowded out, but lived by the sword, die by the sword, right on the outside. So I actually thought it was, um, I thought it was just really cool because they were both, that's got, they, I reckon they must have both been on the absolute limit of where you could break into turn one on the, on the first lap. And as soon as you saw that Max was matching Lewis breaking wise on the inside, you're like, well, Hamilton's never going to get him around the outside there. Um, and he's always going to be run out of road. I, I thought that was quite nice. It'd be quite cool if if Max goes on like a little run now, two or three wins maybe or something like that. It'd be nice for there to be a a really combative statement of intent at the beginning of that that set him on that path because he got that mega launch and got that run to get inside Hamilton and, and Sergio Perez down towards town. So he had to make it count, didn't he? So it was a really cool, really decisive, nice to have one of those key moments. Yeah, I think when you go around the outside of someone, you, you're putting yourself at their mercy and they, they're not obliged to show you any, and that's all that happened. Yeah, Verstappen's not the type, is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not going to back down. He was probably delighted with that happening. And it, it's it's great, though, because we've had this now in, in two races and long may it continue. And, of course, it also followed kind of a Hamilton victory in, in qualifying, didn't it? Not just in terms of the fact that he was on pole, but Max Verstappen really wasn't happy with his qualifying lap. He was down in third on the grid. He said it was quite a scrappy lap, and it's been quite a long time since he's had that. Where he said there are odd mistakes, I think the phrase he used. He had that what he called the lawn mowing moment uh, early in the lap, and then it was just a little bit scruffy. But Mark, what did we learn about the relative competitiveness of Red Bull and Mercedes? It was certainly closer. Mercedes were fortunate to be ahead in qualifying, but it certainly wasn't a Bahrain gap. So why do we think that is? There's a little bit circuit and a little bit some refinement on the Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes are um, quite adamant that even if you went with these two cars, with the two, you know, the refined version of the Mercedes, even if you went back to Bahrain, it would still be blown into the weeds by the Red Bull in, in over a single lap. Um, but around Imola, um, circuit characteristics and uh, the the fact that it was uh, nice and cool kept the uh, tire temps within within the threshold on the Mercedes, which were, they were going over it quite quite a lot in Bahrain. So it made the it made the Merck a bit more of a consistent drive. Um, it was eventually it it took a hell of a lot of keying into the balance through the practices because it's it's got such a small window now uh, since these changes that it's it it can be very very tricky to to find that sweet spot but they did find it they found it in between fp3 and qualifying and it was a, a good enough car that lewis was able to put together a pretty much error-free lap it wasn't a, an inspired lap it was much just a clean clean lap and um a clean two laps actually <clears throat> and the the red bull is a bit more um Bit more of a nervy car, but it is it is faster, and especially in the slow corners because of that trait. Um, and so it's uh, it, it ultimately it's quicker, but it's it's also especially around a, a, a one line fast track like Imola, it's also it's also a bit trickier. And so 
I'm sure that played its part in the mistakes of both um, Perez and Verstappen, both both of which um, cost them pole. Could, could either either of them could have been on pole, were it not for the mistakes that they made. And um, you know, if you if 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 they each squeezed the maximum from the car, I think um, Red Bull could probably have locked out the front row. Yeah, and the really positive thing is that we are seeing, as the different track sensitivities turn up as we go to different places, just to get a better idea of the the, the real performance model, if you like, that you always have in your head of, of what's going on. And it's just, the thing I just keep getting excited about is it's just pointing to what could be a really good battle and just hoping it keeps hanging on all the way through the year because it's just gone so well. And Imola, fantastic uh, moments between Hamilton and Verstappen and Red Bull and Mercedes and probably going to be quite an important moment along the pathway to this championship. Well, Scott, we've talked about one Mercedes driver, but the biggest talking point of the race was the huge accident involving the two other Mercedes drivers, meaning Valtteri Bottas and George Russell. Not only did it result in a big impact for Bottas in particular, but also it's caused significant ructions off track, hasn't it? So how do you see it? Um, slight, slightly differently to how I viewed it at the time. Um where I felt that Russell had just made a, I felt Russell had just made quite a silly error, um, and then on review, it was, it's still somewhat inconclusive because what you really want, ideally, is a shot of Bottas's proper onboard or a head-on shot of the two coming towards them, just so you can see whether Bottas moves at all unfairly, as as Russell was pointing out. Um, I I I agree with uh, or see why the stewards called it a racing incident because racing incident doesn't have to be exactly 50-50. And uh, Michael Mazzi alluded to that as well, said that the stewards might have seen that as 60-40 to to one driver, but the rule is they have to be wholly or predominantly to to blame. I would apportion slightly more blame to Russell, I did at the time, and I, I've looked at it a few times now, and I, and I stand by it just on the grounds of, you know, he's the aggressor in that situation. Um, he is the one moving to the outside, and ultimately, however reasonable it is for him to be reacting to Bottas's car coming over to the right, he doesn't have to move as far to the right as he does in response. There is enough space on the left-hand side for Russ for Russell to be there without moving over to the point where he drops the right rear onto the grass and everything after that it's obviously he's a passenger and as soon as he does does that the car snaps left so violently um you know thank heavens again for the halo because i dread to think what that accident would have been like without it because from this the few images i've seen um russell's front left wheel doesn't end up in a particularly friendly place for bottas's head Without the halo, um, but yeah, I yeah racing incident that I think Russell is fractionally more responsible for, and I think that's reflected in how disappointed Toto Wolff was in Russell's decision making afterwards. Are you happy with that analysis and interpretation of the accident, Mark? Yeah, more or less. Um, the Valtteri was um, pretty much on the limit of the the the, the dry line, and. George has gone for the, the the damp line, but he's he's got to do it. Then he's got DRS. Um, he's he's make he's make you know you're not really a racing driver if you you if you've got to run on a guy, and you don't you don't make what uh, a perfectly feasible move. So I think he was justified in making a move. Um, but like we said before, if you if you're putting yourself in a position where you need the other guy's cooperation, you might not get it. And I think um, Valtteri does make a very slight suggestion of a move. And yes, in hindsight, you can look back and say, well, yeah, but he did. George still had room. It's a one thing to say you've got room. It's another one to say, I'm going to have room because I don't know when he's going to stop coming across. And you, you, in, a, in a millisecond that you've got to make that, choice um I, I i think it was perfectly reasonable for him to move further out of the way rather than potentially interlock wheels with the mercedes so it, it was for me a racing incident and i wouldn't 
60-40. I wouldn't even say that. I'd say 50-50. Just because you've um, you mentioned there, Mark, that uh, he's obviously he's got the run, so he kind of has to go for it. And is legitimate to go for it. I, I I think I agree with you. But does that mean that you don't necessarily subscribe to Toto Wolff's view that Russell should be racing a Mercedes differently? Well, that that's um, that's a matter between Toto and and, and George. <laughs> but in terms of the the, the racing ethic, the, the racing ethics, as opposed to whatever um, employee employer relationship is, um, that yeah, I think. Um, in terms of racing ethics, he did nothing wrong. I wonder on that if maybe actually part of the reason that accident happened was because George was racing a Mercedes a little bit differently because he made the comments about, oh, well, Bottas did it because it was him. And obviously there's this whole dynamic in the background with, is Russell going to take Bottas's drive? Is he going to be his teammate? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder, could there just be a little bit in the processing in Russell's mind that when Bottas just moves right a little bit, there's that extra desire not to have a clash with a Mercedes. You don't know how all these things get processed. I just wonder if, on Russell's part, that that situation, contrary to him not changing the way he was racing against a Mercedes, maybe it's impossible to know. It was a split-second thing, subconscious processing. George Russell wouldn't even know. But I just wonder if that was a small part, a small ingredient in, in what happened as well, if, if we do say that Russell could have reacted slightly less to it. Well, I think you can you you can make an argument for you know the motivation any any way for for either driver, can't you? Because there's also an argument of you know is is Russell taking that risk if it's not Bottas and he doesn't see an opportunity to put one on the guy he's trying to show to Mercedes, it, you know should be booted out to make room for him. And Wolf kind of kind of alluded to that because he said that. He doesn't want Russell to be pro- trying to prove anything to them in those situations. And the way Wolf put it was because the, I think he said something like, the one thing I know about Valtteri is that in five years, he's never tried to prove anything to us. And I, I kind of couldn't interpret that any other way than Toto saying, look, George, you know, be a bit more sensible. Because how how many times do we hear team bosses, when there's younger drivers trying to impress, saying the worst thing they can do is try to impress us. So it's kind of in that vein, which is really unusual considering George isn't a rookie anymore. You know, he's a third-year driver who's even raced for the Mercedes Works team last year. So yeah, I thought that was slightly unusual. It was very, very, very clear on Sunday evening that, that, that Toto was seriously unhappy with it. And he'd made that joke on television, hadn't he? That he'd been teasing George that if he does well, he'll be he can be in a Mercedes, and if he doesn't do so well, he'll be in the Clio Cup. And that after this, he's closer to the Renault Clio Cup. And that was a joke, but the general disapproval that Toto had—that was no, that was that wasn't a joke at all. It did seem like it's it kind of kept going because George Russell was was uh, complaining about Bottas later on, wasn't he? So. It kind of went from this thing where it was one of those things to the fact that it, that it was still being talked about. So I guess that was the thing that elevated it a little bit and and perhaps wound Wolf up a little bit. I mean, uh, Scott, just to quantify on a, on a scale of one to ten, because you uh, you spoke to Wolf this evening, how actually annoyed was he? Is it just sort of very slightly wryly annoyed, or is it genuinely actually I'm quite annoyed about this? This this is not acceptable. No, I think it was closer to the latter because. Uh... This, you, 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 you mentioned the theory that Russell had, which is that Bottas was racing him differently because it was George. When that theory was put to Toto, Toto basically said, that's nonsense. But he used a much stronger swear word than to describe nonsense. Um, and his tone changed and his facial expression hardened. And he then went into quite a specific answer on why he was so upset. And that's what triggered that he should be doing this differently when he's up against the Mercedes. And he was talking about how it's going to have ramifications for Mercedes because they're right up against their allotted spend under the budget cap. And now they've got a huge rebuild job to do on Bottas's car that they won't have factored in to their, to their spending and all of this. And suddenly it was like a, whoa, this isn't a, 
racing incident that you're just a little bit unhappy about. Like you're, these are this is serious. You're you're genuinely upset by this. So, and and I I can see why. But that's why it's you know it isn't as far as you know, Russell's not going to get binned off into touring car racing as a result of this. But at the same time, it would be naive to think that this hasn't given him a little bit of damage limitation to do in terms of any kind of relationship or sort of standing in Toto's eyes. It's not going to be lasting, not at all. But I think the doubling down on I'm definitely not in the wrong and Valtteri was to blame for this probably didn't help him in the moment. Yeah, I felt he overplayed his hand a little bit when it came to to that. But Mark, do you think it made any difference? You've said before that you think George Russell's probably the most likely to be in a Mercedes next year of those three drivers, given the situation, which is yeah, a very, very easy position to to agree with. Do you think it'll have any any real long-term ramifications, or do you think this is just Wolf taking this as an opportunity just to kind of get it under control before anything else goes wrong? And of course, they've got the added dimension of the fact that Imola is, just, is the place where things go, go wrong for George Russell, isn't it, after, after last year? So there's still those little rough edges in George that, that they will be concerned about. Yeah, I don't think it's going to um, seriously damage his chances, his prospects. But um, yeah, as you say, it's um, it's probably a, a time when um, Toto's going to put in a little reminder about just how the the, the land will lie um, when he when he is a Mercedes driver. Uh, I think um, performance um, out you know always trumps everything else, and um, I think George is the uh, George is the, the 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 future the, the guarantee of performance there for long longer term. Looking to when Lewis won't be there. Yeah, hopefully it just means that that'll avoid in the future endless conversations about rules of engagement as we had with Hamilton and Rosberg at uh, at times during their partnership at uh, Mercedes. Let's move on, Mark. One of the stars of the weekend was Lando Norris. Finished third, was only four laps away from second place before being passed by the recovering Hamilton. So that's two races out of two now. He's been best of the rest behind Mercedes and Red Bull. But his pace this weekend really was stunning, wasn't it? Yeah, he was superb this weekend. I think this is a, the strongest weekend he's put together. Um, you know, he, yeah, he, he, he lost that third, what would have been the third fastest qualifying time for, you know, a few centimetres over the line at Peratella. Okay. It, it, the, the time he had to rely on was a lot slower than that was set on used tyres. So that. He didn't. He didn't lose all. He didn't gain all that time through the track limits thing. Um, be hundreds, I would imagine. His um, he had a difficult um, first few corners, uh, which knocked him down. But uh, he just he came straight back up to his rightful position, and you know passed everything that was in the in his way on on the way to that. Podium. So, um, yeah, I think he was absolutely flawless this weekend. He he was, um, you know, I think the, the McLaren and the Ferrari are so closely matched that the individual driver performances are, are going to be very crucial in that battle. And I think he, he put in the best performance of those four drivers this weekend. And it's a, a fascinating dynamic there because we talked over the winter about how important it was for Norris to use the fact he was the incumbent McLaren driver so make sure he started the season strongly to avoid getting swamped by the the star incomer Daniel Ricardo. And Ricardo's doing a decent job, but the fact was, Scott Ricardo was not at Norris's level this weekend. He shouldn't have qualified ahead of him. That was only because of the situation Mark just talked about. And then Ricardo was ordered to let Norris pass. Norris took off up the road, and even if you look in that final part of the race, Ricardo was a good ten seconds behind that group that um, that, that Norris was in to get the podium. So. Norris is ticking all the boxes at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he's responded to this challenge really well. Um, he's rising to the occasion at the moment. He felt he'd let McLaren down with that qualifying misjudgment, which is the matter of centimetres, if not millimetres. Uh, but he put that right. Um, with very mature, brilliant drive. Um, he looks every inch the driver that uh Andreas Seidel said he looked like he'd developed into over the winter. Seidel was pretty confident around preseason testing that, that Norris had made another good step in his development in the off season. I think um it's easy to say after only a couple of races. We should remember he started last year really well um and then sort of got caught by by Carlos Sainz. 
Ricardo will come back at him once he's settled in. And I think this was a particularly difficult one to to come to in only your second weekend in a team when you only had three days of pre-season testing and one and a half days of that in the car. Uh, so Ricardo will come back at Norris and it will be a, a tough test to having him as a teammate. What a brilliant start. I, I, I can't imagine Lando expecting the first couple of races to go as much in his favour as they have. And it'll definitely help him because I think he's somebody who will benefit from just seeing that he can perform at that level week in week out okay it's only two weekends you could also say i think abu dhabi was quite strong at the end of last year wasn't it as well so let's say that's three really strong week consecutive weekends he's had albeit with quite a big gap during that run so encouraging for him and yeah ricardo come obviously we saw all of those drivers who've moved teams did struggle this weekend because this is a track where there's not much margin for error you really need to know what your car can do and know all the little tricks, particularly once you add in the wet conditions in the race, understanding all the little tools and things to really be on top of it. So, yeah, Ricardo's still in the steeper part of that that learning curve, and he'll certainly come on. But Norris has done what he needs to, to do. But also, Ferrari, Scott, relatively satisfied fourth and fifth place for Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, especially given the number of times they managed to be off the road between them in and around the race. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't ideal for them. But do you think there should be any disappointment, given Leclerc was best of the rest in qualifying again? And he was second at the restart after the red flag. Um, yeah, I suppose it's... I think if you'd have offered that result to them before the race, they'd have taken it. And then I guess the way you see the race shaking out at different points, especially with the restart, then it is, it is then a bit of a bit of a disappointment. I, I do wonder if Leclerc might have hung on for a podium had Hamilton not had his path cleared slightly by Perez chucking it off in the gravel and Raikkonen chucking it off in the gravel before before the race had even restarted. Raikkonen was off um, uh, on the on one of the formation laps um, and that just meant too fewer cars for Hamilton to overtake and, and, and all of this. So, yeah, maybe there was an element of that, uh, but I think they can be satisfied. Sainz's first stint was really funny because... Um, Every time the camera cut to him, he was having a massive moment somewhere through the gravel. But whenever he rejoined, he was still somehow six seconds clear of the car behind. So he'd he'd done the hard work by getting ahead of that midfield pack and then pulling clear. So yeah, him and uh, him him and Leclerc, I thought they did quite a good job. There there must have been a moment for Leclerc when his heart was in his mouth when. Um, when Verstappen had that massive moment uh, just before the restart, um, because it was just confusing. It was okay. Do I do I overtake him because he's he's on the inside curve at the moment, almost spinning? Am I allowed to overtake him, or do I have to wait? And yeah, so it would have been a moment there where Leclerc was thinking, if he goes round, I'm going to be leading the Grand Prix which would have been a bonkers thought um, just a couple of days ago. So all, all in all, another encouraging weekend for Ferrari in their quest to sort of restore a bit of pride after last season. And um, while the end result is disappointing, given Leclerc started the post-flag restart second, it's still a good result for them in the circumstances. We should note, in that moment when Verstappen had that uh, that moment at Rivazza, just as they were coming around to restart, Lando Norris was asked about this and he said he thought it would have been perfectly legitimate for Leclerc to go past because Verstappen was having the moment. So there's an interesting little uh, little what if uh, there. I don't think it would have taken Verstappen too much longer to get back ahead, but uh, equally Leclerc might have been sensible because he might have ended up just having a Red Bull in the side of him and then suddenly Lando Norris wins. Maybe that's why Lando was saying he'd have, he felt that Charles was perfectly entitled to go for it. <laughs> yeah, he probably liked that scenario though. Of course, Hamilton, that would have been even more cars for Hamilton not to have to, to worry about. Uh, Mark, AlphaTauri again, very quick at Imola, but came away with far fewer points than it should have done. Gassi started fifth, would have been in the mix for that podium position, but seemed to make an extraordinary choice to start on wets. So instead he finished seventh, assisted by that Lance Stroll five-second post-race penalty for overtaking him using the gravel much earlier in the race, which was uh, odd that the team thought he'd get away with that. But yeah, it was, was being one of only four people, the other being Esteban Ocon and the Haas drivers to start on wets, a bold gamble at backfired or just a baffling waste of a great starting position? Um, I think they'd already um, backed out of it when they, they, they saw how the conditions were easing off a bit, um, but there wasn't time to, to, to make the change. Um, 
it was you know something that was being considered you heard you heard drivers on the radio back and forwards on the um on the reconnaissance laps and then they were saying what do you think and some some were saying yeah definitely wet it's 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 too wet for inters so it wasn't clear cut it was just that as that rain eased off and it would towards the start time it it became more and more obvious and i think they were just a little bit late with their communications and and a bit late in making the decision um so yeah it, it probably a, a team a communication sort of fault really uh, you, you, in wasting a, a very good grid position fifth you know could as you say it could have been in the mix for the podium um and Sonoda, i did i gotta admit i much as I, I love Sonoda's attitude and, and I love how he, he attacks the task and how he, you know, as a breath of fresh air, I did have thoughts before the weekend of, of I think, you know, there's a lot of solid things to hit at Imola and I wouldn't be surprised if um, if he demonstrates that. And uh, so what we saw in qualifying, didn't even get a time on the board, did he? Um, and then he had a, a spin on the restart in the race. So he did look just like a um, <laughs> an aggressive terrier on... Um, on slippery line all weekend, really, and uh, he was um, still got all that spirit, but there wasn't much control. You make allowances for rookies, but the fact he pranged it on that Q1 lap, you don't need to push an AlphaTauri too hard in Q1 to get it through to Q2. So it really wasn't the time to be ha- having that moment. Obviously, he carried a bit too much speed into Varianti Alta, and then as he tried to take the second part, inevitably, car sort of pendulum around and he backed into the uh, the wall. He was noticeably a little bit less in control than, than Gasly. Not ridiculously so, but I watched the Aqua Minerale on uh, Saturday morning. Yes, it was in the morning. You can never remember whether FP3 starts in the afternoon or the, or the morning with all the calendar shifts. But yeah, you could see Tsunoda, he was very good, but occasionally he'd overcommit and he was just a little bit more in, imprecise. So that eventually caught him out yeah, and the, the, the spin in the race cost him points in the end as well. The pace is good, but yeah, he needs to temper those... Um, overly aggressive tendencies and that should come with time let's talk aston martin mark eventful weekend stroll ended up eighth following that penalty having done a good job to reach q3 again felt retired late on but he wasn't going to get any points anyway and was battling a minor gearbox glitch so they just pulled him in when he was already guaranteed to finish ahead of the hasses but it was Otmar Safnauer, the team principal's call for discussions about the rules and even refusing to rule out legal action if something wasn't changed that was the biggest talking point. So what, what is he on about and does he actually have a point? Um, What's he on about? <laughs> <laughs> What's he on about? Well, what he's on about is um, <laughs> the, the regulations do seem to have hurt. The, low, the regulation change does seem to have hurt the low-rate cars and, and he's a team... Uh, Principal, uh, one of the two teams that have a low rate car, and um, both of which have lost uh, competitively relative to the front. Um, and he's now saying, well, given that the change was made for safety reasons because of the tyres, but then the tyres were, were changed anyway, um, we, we're not sure that this has been fair and equitable, and we'd like to um, have a discussion with the FIA about what went on in, in retrospect. And um, can we find a way of making it more equitable? But um, I have a feeling it's just something he feels he has to say because um, his boss, Lawrence Stroll, is probably um, wondering why uh, they agreed to this. And um, so, you know, he's he's, he's sort of being seen to to be doing something about it. But in reality, they, you know, the, 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 the protocol was followed. Um, the governance, the way it is laid down, is is very clear. Um, all the teams agree to it, I- including his team, um, and that set in place the the regulation change that came about. So, I'm not about to change it with um, one part season left before we go to a completely new formula. So, no, it's. I think it's um, for the sake of form to be seen, heard to be. Uh, objecting uh, rather than um, rather than with any uh, real hope of uh, changing the regulations back or anything like that. that, that that's just a non-starter. Well, I won't add my opinion on that because I think you rightly interpreted what my position was from the, the tone of the question. But just the one thing I would add is, even if in some hypothetical dreamland they did get a rule change, which they won't, but that would be completely counterproductive because they've got a 2022 car that's vastly more important. So 
it, it wouldn't actually be beneficial for that to happen. So whatever way you look at it, it's uh, it's not a good move. But also, Scott, Sebastian Vettel, still not quite there. He's sort of chipping away. But while perhaps the qualifying gap to Stroll was fractionally bigger than it, it should have been, he's still just that little bit behind. And then just everything went wrong in the race with all sorts of, of problems and penalties. Not really of his own making, unlike uh, what happened in Bahrain. It was just uh, one of those days for him. He was a little bit happier in qualifying, but just felt that he didn't quite have the confidence in the car to push it where he where he needed it and 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 how he needed to. So he was just lacking a little bit there. And then it was I felt bad for him because a couple of hours before the race, he was saying, you know, maybe a bit of rain in the air, downpour might mix it up, give us an opportunity. And he never had the chance to fight from where he should have because. He he was he was wheeled off the grid and he then he wasn't happy with how long it took the FIA to communicate the the uh, the penalty that he had to serve for not having the wheels fitted in time and it was just oh, it was just a mess and then you know had some kind of like gear selection issues or something and so he re- retired before the end of the race so it was just it's a it's a move that hasn't really got going isn't it Vettel to Aston Martin it just feels like it's um full started a little bit and he needs to have a full weekend where things don't go wrong not at every turn because this wasn't a disastrous weekend but you know he was looking forward to having a a clean race and putting something proper together and yeah to be fair he never really had chance to do that yeah it's just it's just so many things that went went wrong he, he said that the that the problem was to do with um with with the brakes was the brakes got too hot uh, on the laps to the grid so they had to try and change them and that's why the wheels went on and he took the restart I think on softs and they made that decision because they wanted to make up some ground off the line because they thought it was going to be a standing restart and it wasn't done and, and it even said himself when he was talking to us about about the race he sort of said yeah you could come up with a list of things that would go wrong in a race on an unlucky day and you wouldn't come up with this particular list as long as it was so yeah just just one of those days I guess uh, for him but Scott it was a mixed bag for Alfa Romeo. It looked like it was a reasonably good day because Kimi Raikkonen finished ninth on the road, but he was then busted down to 13th thanks to a 30-second penalty for a procedural failure. He spent some time combing through the stewards' decision and the rules to understand exactly what they did wrong. So what did they do wrong that, that cost them their first points of the season? Oh, it's way too late in the evening to be testing me on this, Ed, because those sporting regulations are an absolute nightmare. <laughs> um, basically, he... Um... He was meant to take the restart in eighth, um, but he spun through Tamburello and he fell behind, was it Hamilton and Sonoda, I think. So he fell to his 10th. And the rules are that you have to reclaim your position by the safety car one line, which is at the pit lane exit. So he basically had the whole lap to get back into position. But the problem is there are lots of little contradictions within the rules because different rules um, like dif- different rules supersede other ones. So because that was the last lap before the restart, um, the safety car lights would go off at some point during the lap and you're not allowed to overtake behind the safety car once the safety car lights go off. And Raikkonen's problem was that when he fell to 10th, he didn't catch the back of the queue until after the safety car lights had gone off. So that meant that he wasn't allowed to overtake the two cars in front that he should have been in front of. So that would have meant that by the time they got to the safety car one line, which would have been after the race actually restarted because it's after the start-finish line, he would have been out of position. And the rule is, if you are out of position before that point, you have to come into the pits and you can only rejoin once all the other cars have gone past the pit exit. I think it's a, I think that's a rubbish rule. I understand why it exists, I suppose, but I, I don't think it, that's particularly fit for purpose. But basically, Alfa Romeo hesitated when Kimi got to the back of the queue they felt that they were in this horrible catch-22 situation where he had to overtake the two cars in front 
but the rule about the safety car lights meant that he wasn't allowed to overtake the two cars in front. So they radioed Michael Mazzi because they felt that there was a contradiction within the rules and they wanted clarification, but they didn't get an answer because the restart was about to happen. So they didn't pit, uh, pit Raikkonen, even though this is an established and consistently applied rule, which meant it was a slam dunk when the stewards revisited it. And even though they accept that there are some confusions or contradictions within the rules at times, this particular one has been in the rules for, for a very long time. It's consistent across a few championships. And therefore, had it been applied during the race, he'd have got the, the stop go, I think, right? So he then gets given this big time penalty in lieu of that stop go, which completely wrecks his race. So, yeah, nightmare for Alfa Romeo, because I'm pretty sure at one point both cars were in the top 10, weren't they? Raikkonen and Giovinazzi, and then Giovinazzi had, I can't remember what it was, but he had something that that dropped. Yeah, yeah, so he 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 fell out of the picture. Um, but yeah, one, one former world champion's loss is another former world champion's gain. And certainly there was quite a lengthy debate in the stewards' room about this. I know Xavi Pujolar, the head of trackside engineering, was arguing the toss for quite some time to try and save those points. And yeah, Raikkonen was he was running strongly. He was right behind Russell when Russell and Bottas had their had their crash. So he got a, a great view of the the incidents and also delivered one of his trademark radio messages when he was told there was lots of debris on the track because he sort of said, "Well, yeah, I saw it, and half of it's on my car." <laughs> sort of stating the obvious from the uh, from the pits. Uh, Mark, Alpine, first points of 2021, ninth and 10th place is Resteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso and a card just about capable of sneaking into Q3. Not really cause to be waving the tricolor and singing Le Marciere on the Champs-Élysées in, uh, in celebration, is it? Not yet, no. no. Um, still early days, but it's um, yeah, it seems to be at the moment in that little, little bit of a no-man's land. Um, it's maybe a bit faster than the Alpha, maybe not quite as quick as the Aston. Um, and that's not really um, where where the team aspires to be. Um, talking to both uh, Ocon and Alonso after the race, they were both saying, actually, it doesn't feel too bad to drive. It's quite nicely balanced, uh, but it's um, it lacks straight line speed. It's not... Um, doesn't have a lot of downforce in certain types of corners, medium speed corners, and its traction is not great. So they're the areas that they're working on, and whether they are fixable uh, within the within the scope of the limitations that everybody's working to this year or not, uh, we, we'll have to see. But yeah, it, at the moment, it looks sort of depressingly like a a car that might fluke into Q3 if somebody else has a problem, like we saw the first two races. Um, might just get into the bottom end of Q3. That seems to be its, its sort of natural level. Yeah, quite a lot of work needed to be done there to get properly towards, well, it's nowhere near the front of the midfield battle that they want to be in. So, yeah, <laughs> a long way to go. Scott, Sergio Perez, taking us a very, very long time to get to talking about him in earnest. Now, he finished 11th in a race. He started from the front row. He found that sudden turn of speed in Q3. To, to qualify second. Admittedly, Verstappen's errors meant that's why Perez was ahead, but still Perez made a step of his own. Then had a penalty for that incident with a passing Ricardo and Gasly after he'd gone off the track at Piratella. The safety car was deployed, and then he had that spin after touching the, the wet line later in the race. That's really not the race he needed, and <laughs> doubly so, considering had the race started dry, continuing on soft, so it was kind of half a chance he'd have a, a good shot of victory and could even have got track position at the start. So just a, a horrible day for him. Before it started to rain at, at Imola, you and I had a conversation, I think, where you said this this could be Perez's first Red Bull win. Um, and I didn't think you were going out on a limb saying that. I agreed with you. Um, it did look quite good. I think his race pace was excellent in Bahrain and his long run pace looked like it was probably going to be pretty good here. Um as you say, he was due to start on the softs. I, I thought he was going to be leading into turn one, to be honest. Um, and then we both sort of felt that the the rain coming probably wasn't the best for him. Um, it's not that he's a bad driver in the rain. He's just, he's not a great driver in someone like Hamilton or Verstappen. Um, and then, yeah, just got away from him, didn't it? One thing after another and uh, a very messy 
Grand Prix, um, exactly the sort of performance that uh, that he was um, brought in to end, really, in that second car. Uh, it was a huge missed opportunity for Red Bull, given what happened with Bottas. Even before he was wiped out, um, Bottas was on course for a pretty mediocre points haul. This was a big opportunity for Red Bull to score handsomely against Mercedes, and um, Perez has been signed to contribute to that, not to add a zero to their tally. Yeah, a big blow for him. Still struggling to get completely on top of the car and learning every time he gets in the car, he says. But yeah, this wasn't really the the day he needed. Um, but Scott, while we're down at the back, Antonio Giovinazzi was 14th, the head of the classified but part battle, with then the two Hasses of Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, 16th and 17th. Now Schumacher put it into the wall on the main straight under the early safety car. The latest driver and the first since George Russell in Imola last year to join that safety car crash club. So, you know, we know how hard these tyres are, but while it's easy to do that, you understand it, it would have been one of those horrible moments for him, won't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a bad error to make. Um, and, yeah, there's not really any, um, not really any, any strong, strong defence you can offer um, to it. And it was such a shame because Mick had actually put together a really good weekend, I thought. I thought it was... Um, he, he he just seemed to make a really nice step through Friday's second practice, and then from then on he was he he was on it. Like his quality runs in FP3 were good. He was pretty quick in qualifying as well. I think he was what four temps off of Q2. Um, so and he was miles faster than Mazepin. So he looked really competent and looked like he was going to put something decent together. And then yeah, that that happened. Um, Mazepin was having. Um, a pretty miserable weekend. Um, he spun twice in FP1. He was slow in FP2 um, and never got going again in FP3 or qualifying. It was almost like that spin at the end of FP1 just sort of haunted him for the rest of the weekend. Um, but there were also a couple of things where you know he got a lot of stick for un that was unwarranted, the the Giovinazzi incident in Q1, where they ended up racing each other side by side down to turn one on their final flying laps. You know, Mazepin got an awful lot of stick for that on social media, and Giovinazzi said he destroyed their final runs and basically was massively criticising him. But there was about 10 seconds to go before the flag came out, and his engineer came over the radio and said, you've got to go, or was you going to miss your lap? So Mazepin gunned it. He did nothing wrong in that situation. And then on the first lap of the Grand Prix, um, the cameras show him turning Latifi into the wall on the run up on the run between Aquaminerale and um, Variante Alta. And again, you've got our uh, you know uh, Mazepin's having another crash, but actually, as the replay showed, we'd seen Latifi going off at Aquaminerale, and then. Um, he just sort of meandered across from the left to the right after he rejoined. Just He was driving like he didn't know Mazepin was there and then obviously they made contact and Latifi was thrown into the wall. And the reason for that is because Latifi had no idea Mazepin was there, thought he, <laughs> thought he was at the back of the pack on his own, didn't even realise there was a car on his inside, so he was just moving over to the right and then all of a sudden he hit, he hit something. Uh, he thought he, I think he thought he had wheel spin. And just sort of like pitched it into the wall all on his own. <laughs> yeah, that's what he thought. Not only that in the moment, but he only realised that Mazepin had been there when he was in the medical centre. I think he went to the medical centre for uh, the routine check. Perhaps it triggered the G sense because it was a reasonable impact. But he was there. That it was some time after that he actually found out that Mazepin had been there at all. So I think we can buy that. And I'll tell you what: if you watch the onboards, I know the onboards because they're such small cameras tend to slightly exaggerate just how bad the visibility is but if you watch those uh that first lap it's absolutely crazy watch some of the onboards from anyone who's not in the front three on the run to tamburello for example it's absolutely ridiculous but yeah a shame for latifi because it that was an awful race for him because he he lasted two-thirds of a lap and managed to have a, a spin and then a, a wipeout but he showed good pace george russell was tipping him to have a push for q3 and then he made q2 but he underachieved a bit in qualifying and then to have that happen 
Now, Latifi does have these sort of moments where you sort of think there's something that, that will come together and it doesn't quite. But uh, yeah, a weekend that could have been very good for him turned out not to be so strong. Uh, well, it's always a good sign when it's a battle to squeeze everything into our race review episodes. But thanks very much, Scott and Mark, for your insights. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen for more fallout from the race, as well as Mark Hughes's race analysis and my driver ratings. Check out our YouTube channel if video is your thing. And if you haven't already done so, please do subscribe to the podcast as we'll always have at least one episode a week. So with two races down, it's shaping up to be the season we were all hoping for. Make sure you keep following it with us on the Race F1 podcast. <laughs>